0: Good morning, brothers and sisters, and Merry Christmas. So today we complete the eighth day, the octave of Christmas with the great solemnity of Mary, the mother of God, the Theotokos, or in Greek, the God-bearer, the one who gave birth to God. And we every year celebrate this eighth day in honor of Mary's divine maternity, because this dogma, this Doctrine of our faith that Mary is not just the mother of Christ. She is the mother of God himself Is necessary For belief in Jesus Christ It is necessarily tied to the incarnation and the birth of our Savior Now a simple explanation of why Mary is the mother of God is Jesus is a man we know that obviously but he's also God. And since Mary gave birth to the man who is God, she also gave birth to the God, therefore Mary is the mother of God. It's very simple logic, just that, that's how we know it. That's the easy explanation for this, this doctrine, this teaching that the Holy Church has given us and that we are required to believe. But I think it's it's important sometimes to have a a deeper explanation or more full or complete understanding of why these things matter, why doctrines, why dogmas matter. So why does it matter that we call Mary the mother of God? Why can't she just be the mother of the humanity of Jesus Christ? I mean, she's not God, is she? She didn't give birth to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Why does she necessarily hold this title? Well, it all has to do with who her son is, what she gave birth to. You see, in philosophy, the way we define the word nature is as such. The nature of a thing is what the thing is. It's a what. So like these, these flowers around that we use for Christmas, The the nature of these flowers, it's a plant nature. There are other plants too. So all things that have a similar mode of life, we would call plants. That is their nature. There, There are different kinds of plants, but they all have the same nature, the plant nature. Dogs and whales, they have animal natures. That's what they are, they're animals. Humans are not animals. Humans have human natures. We have bodies and souls. So a nature is what a thing is. However, philosophically, a person is who a thing is. Who they are. Obviously, plants aren't who's, they're not persons. Animals aren't who's, they're not persons. Persons are made in God's image and likeness. Persons have intellects and wills. Persons are the who that possess the what. Just follow me for a moment if you will. (laughs) I am a human person, made in God's image and likeness. I have a human nature. I possess a body and a soul with an intellect and a will. The what is the nature, the who is the person. This philosophical distinction is necessary for understanding Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's not your average, everyday person. Because he's got two what's? Two natures. He's got a divine nature in union with the Father and the Spirit. and He's got a human nature that he took of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He's a single person with two natures. Nothing like this has ever been done in all of history. We know that God is three divine persons who share one nature, one divine nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was in the plan of the Father that the Logos, the Word, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, his eternally begotten Son, would take on human flesh to save us from our sin. And so he was sent and took flesh of the womb of the Virgin Mary and built himself up a body. And in doing that, this divine person, the Logos, the Word of God, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, became a real human man. But he's not a human person. This is a very important theological point. It's heresy to say that Jesus is a human person. No, he's a divine person. If he's a human person, then he's not actually God. He's not actually eternal and one with the Father and the Spirit. He can't be a human person. He's got to be a divine person with a divine and a human nature. That's what it means when we say he is the God-man. And this theology, this doctrine is essential for belief in Jesus Christ. It's precisely because he is fully God and fully man that he is the only one who can save us from sin. Obviously as God, he's the only one who can do it. Only God could save us from sin. But he has to be fully man, otherwise our human nature isn't saved. It's one of the teachings of the church that what is not assumed by the Son is not redeemed. If he doesn't take on our human nature, a true body and a true soul, that our bodies and souls are not redeemed by him. All of this theology, all of this doctrine, is tied up in this dogma of Mary as the mother of God. You see, you can't give birth, ladies, you would know this, to a human body without giving birth to the person who possesses that body. Right? You are the mother of the person that you gave birth to, even though you only conceived and gave birth to their body. You're still the mother of that person. This is how Mary is the mother of God, because Jesus is a divine person. And even though, yes, she being a created human, conceived by divine grace and gave birth to the human nature, not the divine nature, she did in fact give birth to the person who is divine, who possess that human nature. Now, I know it's it's early on a Sunday morning to hear this much theology and philosophy. But my point is this doctrines, dogmas matter. They are necessary. Now, you as the everyday Catholic doesn't need to know as much as I do about dogmas and dog doctrines, doctrines and dogmas. Sorry. It's great if you do. In heaven, you're going to have to learn it all anyway, but regardless, I have to know this stuff. I'm required by the church. I studied years of philosophy and years of theology to make sure that I knew all of these teachings so that I wouldn't make a mistake when I would teach you how to follow Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Father, what does all this nuanced theology and philosophy have to do with following Jesus Christ? But you can't follow Christ without loving him, right? It's not possible. You can't love him if you don't truly know him. You see, it's essential to every human relationship. The closer you want to get to somebody, the better you have to know them. And the better you know them, typically, the more you love them. This is just as true with your relationship with Jesus Christ. So often we make mistakes in our relationships with one another because we make assumptions that are wrong. And then we get into trouble with that person and we can cause arguments and fights. During this time of the year when you're gathered with your family, it's inevitable, even when you try your hardest not to, conversations arise and you know it's going to start a fight. It's going to start an argument. Usually it's politics or something like that. Regardless, why is this such a, a bone of contention between you and family and friends? Why do your tempers flare and their tempers flare when you have this disagreement in regards to political belief or, or some other belief? Because it matters to you. It matters to you what the truth is. You can't help it. You don't have a choice. You were designed this way by God. You want to believe that what you believe is true, and you want other people to believe it too. And when they don't believe it, you have a problem. Because you can't have a close relationship with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe. It's not possible. And you want to try to resolve it. This is why sometimes you even fight over it, which is ignorant. You know, that's not going to help you resolve anything. In those situations, silence is best. But this desire that you have to share the same beliefs with the people in your life is essential. It is necessary for a close and intimate relationship with them. The truth matters. Now, I don't really care about political belief. I'm not going to die for my political opinions and beliefs. You know, if you put a gun to my head and say, Father Miller, if you don't believe... In, in this party, in this policy, I'll shoot you. I say, okay, fine, I believe in it. Yeah, whatever, absolutely. I'll save my life to do that. But for the truths of the faith, for the dogma of Mary, the Theotokos, the God-bearer, I would die in a heartbeat. Because religious belief, these truths, these doctrines that have been handed down to us by the church, from Christ himself, They matter more than anything else in the world. These truths are divine truths. And if I want to go to heaven and have an eternal relationship with God, I have to have the same truth in my mind that exists in the mind of the Father. And if I don't, I can't have an eternal relationship with Him. There's going to be a disagreement. Anyone who does not fully believe everything that God the Father believes cannot go to heaven. It's not possible. That was like a a thumbs up from God, providential. Yes, listen to what Father is saying. Now again, the church doesn't expect you to memorize all of the philosophy and the theology of it, but she does expect you to believe it we are required to assent to all of these doctrines and these dogmas with faith. Meaning, even if I don't understand, I believe because the church says it, because Christ says it. That's why I had to study all of those years. You see, if you've ever had the experience to go to a a Protestant service, nine out of 10 times, Protestant preachers are so much better than Catholic preachers. It, it's just true. When you compare the groups, the average, and it's not just Protestant preachers, generally it's other preachers of any denomination, but, but especially Protestants, their ministers who give sermons are, on average, far superior to the Catholic priest. And if you've ever had this experience, if you've recognized this pattern, it should confuse you a little bit because you're like, well, I'm Catholic. I, th- I thought we're the true church. Shouldn't our ministers be better preachers? Why don't, have they, why don't they have that basic skill and talent that all of these other minister- ministers possess? The answer is actually quite simple. You, you just never thought about it before. You see, for someone to become a Protestant minister, they need two things two things are required they need to believe in the teachings of that denomination obviously and they need to be really really good at public speaking those are the two things that are required you you think they're gonna choose somebody to preach the word who isn't really good at it no way so only the best rise to the top so on average you get the best of those communities Now, how does the Catholic Church decide on who's going to preach, who she is going to ordain to the priesthood? Preaching ability is not even on the scale. I mean, yes, in seminary they they teach us, they have us take classes based on public speaking, but you know how it is. If you don't have that gift, you can only, you know, Put makeup on a pig so much you know it's it's just it's like if you don't if you can't carry a tune in a bucket i'm sorry you can't learn to sing well it's just not going to happen so that is not one of the the traits that the church looks for in men to to the priesthood obviously she wants to believe they have a vocation and they need to be catholic but one of the most important traits that the church uses to discern a man's vocation is this whether he can pass the philosophy and theology classes. That's it. If he's not intelligent enough to pass those courses, he will never get ordained. Intellectual formation is essential in regards to choosing a man for ordination. Why? Why is this so important to the Catholic Church? Because it is very easy to fall into heresy. It is very easy if you don't know Jesus well enough to make a mistake. And if I make a mistake as the leader of this community, then I have a greater chance of leading you all into that same mistake. This is a great burden that I have to carry. And so the church requires that I study years and years and years. That I don't just memorize the theology, but I understand it. That's why we study philosophy. You don't have to do that. It's great if you can, if you do, but it's not necessary. It's, it's the reason why not all of you are mechanics. Right? You, you don't have time to learn everything about a car and engines. So you take it to an expert. That's their, their job, their career. You pay them and they fix your car for you. Uh, I'm your spiritual mechanic, okay? That, that's my job. When you're struggling with your relationship with Jesus Christ and you don't know why it's not running smoothly, you come to me and you're like, Father, what's going on here? I diagnose the problem because of my training and I give you a solution. And then you go off and things are hopefully improved. I mean, hopefully I'm a good mechanic. I don't know. You you can't trust every mechanic, you know that. So, spiritual or otherwise. But this is the reason that the church requires her priest to be so fixated on doctrine and dogma. It's so we don't lead you astray because we want you to have the most intimate relationship you can with our Lord. The only way that is possible, the only way that you can love him that intimately is to know him that intimately. And so these doctrines, so these dogmas matter. Again, they're not always fun, but they are always important. And so we give thanks to God for the great gift of the divine motherhood of the Blessed Virgin Mary that assures us that her son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is true God and true man, the true Savior of the world.